You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. This is Bible teacher Nelson Walters. Where are we in the end times? Where are we in the book of Revelation? When will the tribulation begin? When I'm out speaking at events, or on this channel, or in private emails, when someone first encounters this ministry, these are usually the very first questions I get. It's the most common group of questions, if not the most common questions. And here's the shocker. Christians have been asking these same questions for 2,000 years. Paul wrote the letter of 2 Thessalonians to the Thessalonians to calm their fears that they were already in the tribulation. And the disciples, the very first Christians, asked these same questions too. Just a day or so before Jesus was murdered, and even after Jesus rose from the dead, they spent 40 days with him, and then they were asking him again, Lord, is it now you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1.8. So if you're asking questions like this, <laughs> join the crowd. You're in pretty good company. Peter, Andrew, James, John. <laughs> That's great company in my mind. Now, when we study what Jesus had to say in answer to the disciples' questions about the end times, 99% of teachers and pastors take the teaching out of context. They look at a verse here or a verse there, which is important, but they miss what Jesus was really saying in the complete context. Some even have said that Jesus said it wasn't meant for Christians, this teaching. But even if you follow a pre-trib rapture belief, which is the ones usually saying that, a big part of this teaching does apply to you because... A lot of it has already taken place. And unfortunately, most teachers have missed it. But today we're looking at the big picture, looking at what Jesus said, the way that the disciples would have experienced it from their perspective, because that makes all the difference. So today I'd like to give a shout out to David Burnett of our community and our advisors, Ryan Rigo and Fisher Mann for their insights and suggestions which made a huge difference in this teaching. So today we're going to answer your questions. But first, why? Let's answer that one first. At the end of Jesus' teaching, he had this to say, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, that that day come upon you like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Luke 21, 34-35 Jesus expects us to watch the things he explained to us in order to avoid that day, the day of the Lord, the time of judgment that closes in on us like a trap. What this implies is if we are alert to what's happening around us in the world, we won't be surprised by that day. But if we allow partying to distract us or the cares of this life, we'll miss what's happening. So you might say, a cares of this life? What's that? You know, there are problems at home, problems at work, worrying about the kids, 
worrying about the mortgage, worrying about getting older, cares of this life. Now, it's normal to have concerns about your life. But if you let your everyday life distract you from spiritual things, and especially the end times, you're going to miss what God is doing. Now, let's look at what the disciples had just experienced. Put yourself in their shoes. A few days earlier, they had entered Jerusalem with Jesus to the adulation of crowds shouting Hosanna. The very next morning, as they entered town, Jesus cursed a fig tree that hadn't produced figs. Now at the time, the disciples probably thought very little of this. Maybe they just thought it was strange. But the next day, the big day, the day when Jesus would deliver this teaching, as they walked by that same tree, it had completely withered. That is how their day started. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to it. They then entered the temple courts where Jesus was teaching. And while he was there, the Pharisees and Sadducees came around him and challenged Jesus' authority. After he soundly shut them up, he turned on them and called them out, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, calling them dead men's bones and brood of vipers. He concluded with the statement, See, your house is left to you desolate. Remember that word. You will not see me again till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 39, Jesus left the temple. Keep that in mind also, as it's very important to the timeline of when Jesus comes back. Now, I'm sure the disciples were totally dumbfounded at this. The temple, the center of their worship and their nation, would be left desolate? How could that be? Let's pick up the story in Matthew 24. Remember, there were no chapter divisions back at this time, so this is all one story. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Matthew 24, 1-2 Now the disciples were a lot like us, as we explained at the beginning, but they had a big advantage on many of us. They knew their Old Testament inside and out. When they heard Jesus say the temple was about to be destroyed, that desolations were determined. They'd also heard that. They knew exactly where this came from. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9.26. They knew after that and after those things happened was going to be the final week, the 70th week or the tribulation. So let's take a second to look at what the disciples knew that a lot of even our scholars don't really think about today. We're reading in Daniel 9, 26. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Now the disciples knew they were talking to the Messiah when Jesus was talking to them. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. Jesus just told them, the temple would be destroyed, and desolations are determined. Jesus had just told them desolations were determined on the temple until the Jewish people cried out and acknowledged him as Messiah. So the desolation of a temple would continue until the Jewish leaders and nation cry out and acknowledge Jesus. Now, in this popular video on the Nelson Walters channel, we explain how We know the length of these sections. 
how Jesus likely died in 30 AD and how the temple was likely destroyed in 70 AD. And also, and very interesting, the likely length of that desolation until the Jews acknowledge Jesus. If you're watching this on YouTube, a link is down in the description that explains these things and that length of time in biblical detail. And that is why you follow this channel, because we cover biblical topics you just don't usually get elsewhere. If you like or subscribe to this channel, it pushes the teaching out to a broader audience, so do that. Click that like button, send this out to more people just like you. So the disciples knew what Jesus was prophesying, but of course, they didn't have the advantage we have today of the dates for the death of Messiah, the destruction of the temple. So they asked Jesus some questions, the exact questions you and I would ask and are still asking 2000 years later. They started with the obvious. When will these things be? Matthew 24, three. Now, I want you to notice something in this question that almost no one brings up. Notice they said things, plural, not thing. They wanted to know about the things Daniel discussed in his prophecy, not just the destruction of a temple, which is what you always hear. They wanted to know things. They wanted to know more than just that. They wanted all of Daniel's prophecy explained to them. They wanted these things explained. And then they asked two more questions to reinforce this idea. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples wanted to know when Daniel's 70-week prophecy was about to be fulfilled and specifically, what were the signs of that happening? This was not a question just about the destruction of the temple, but much broader than that. It was about the whole of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. And Jesus did not disappoint them. He told them a sermon known as the Olivet Discourse, recorded in Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24. We've already quoted from it a couple times. Jesus explained Daniel and gave them the signs that future generations could look for. And according to Jesus, this has already begun and that's probably not what you were expecting to hear. Jesus started like this, Matthew 24, four through five, see that no one leads you astray because many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Okay, hard stop right there. The disciples had just asked when the end of the age was. And Jesus started with the things that weren't the end of the age. He wanted the disciples to know, in my opinion, that early Christians were going to see false messiahs rise up, notably Bar Kokhba in 133 AD. And they were going to see wars in Israel, massive wars that most people would think was the end the destruction of a temple that really kicked this all off and made them think about this, the destruction of Jerusalem, all in 70 AD, and the revolution under Bar Kokhba in 133 and 135 AD, which caused everybody to be expelled from the country, and that these things weren't the end. So preterists out there, please take note. These things are part of the gap in Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy 
Daniel's 70 weeks were not fulfilled back in the first century. It's part of the gap. It's what happens after the 62-week portion and before the 70th week begins that we just talked about. That those things, you know, death of Messiah, destruction of city and temple, and the desolation that followed. So Jesus was warning against preterism right from the start. All of this wasn't fulfilled in 70 AD. These things back in 70 AD are just part of the gap. They're not the signs that Jesus is coming soon or signs of the end. Jesus knew that the disciples were watching for a war, however, to issue in the end of the age based on the teachings of the rabbis back in those days. That war would lead to the birth pangs of the Messiah, according to the rabbis. So he knew everyone in Jerusalem would think the Roman invasion that destroyed the temple would be the end. My goodness, Christians today even make that mistake, thinking the 70th week began in the first century. So to make this point clear, Jesus used a word that we translate in English as for, but the Greek word is gar, and it's an explanatory conjunction. It explains what he just said. So what did he just say? He just said the end is not yet. That is what's being explained by what follows. In essence, he was saying there will be wars, wars that you're going to think are part of the birth pangs. But when you see these other things, that's how you're going to know that the end times are beginning. So that's a big question. What are these other things? Let's read about them. For, and that's that word gar we were talking about, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That didn't happen in the first century, by the way. And there will be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All of these, and he means all of these together, are the beginning of sorrows. They're better translation birth pangs. Matthew 24, 7 through 8. So Jesus was saying not these over here, these wars in the first century, but this. Wars that would expand beyond just the type of war they had in the first century. Not just nation against nation, but kingdom against kingdom. A worldwide war. And one combined with pestilence, earthquakes, and famine. Ignore wars that aren't world wars. Wow, that's a pretty shocking statement. Why are world wars more important than just a regular war? Because they begin to bring the nations of the world together. At first, you know, of course, the nations are fighting against each other. But then, later, they begin cooperating. And that's going to have massive end-time implications. We see that happening after World War I. What was founded after World War I? The League of Nations, which then became the United Nations. League of Nations was founded right after the First World War, and the United Nations became a thing after the Second World War. World wars lead to a cooperative world organization. So why are cooperative world organizations important? They're very important prophetically. Because as Psalm 2, 1 through 3 tells us, all the nations of the world will gather in a general assembly and their kings and rulers, and in today's world, rulers would be, you know, corporate overlords and bankers, they will conspire together against God and against his anointed. All the nations, and that has only happened 
after the UN has formed. It's the only time in history of the world that this has happened, that all the nations came together. Think about it. And that's only happened after a world war that forced that to happen. Jesus then explains this cooperative world system further. Believe it or not, he talks about it in the Olivet Discourse. He explains what these organized nations are going to do. Then they, notice he uses the word they, will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by, wait for it, all nations for my name's sake. So all nations, and who is that but the UN, are going to hate and kill because people are Christians. So world war leads to world cooperation, which leads to them conspiring against the Father and Jesus, and by extension, against his followers. So expect them to kill and imprison us once they take charge. If you're watching this on YouTube, in the description, there is a video that explains Psalm 2 in great detail, in great biblical detail in this context about the end times. And a link is down in the description. Ah, but when does this happen? Because they asked Jesus when. Jesus used the fig tree. He withered at the beginning of the day as an explanation. He said, now learn the parable from the fig tree. What fig tree? Well, the disciples knew it was most incredible fig tree they'd ever seen in their lives, the one Jesus just miraculously withered at the beginning of the day. As soon as its branch becomes tender, Jesus said, and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. Matthew 24, 32. If you follow this channel, you already know from our interview with Pastor Howard Bass that in Hebrew, the word summer and the word end sound almost alike. So Jesus was saying in essence that the end is near. And a fig tree from Hosea 9.10 was a symbol in the mind of ancient Hebrews of the wicked in Israel. An olive tree were the righteous in Israel and a fig tree were the wicked. So Jesus was saying that a fig tree of unbelievers that you witnessed this morning, I'm withering it now, wicked Israel. But they will come back in the end times and their coming back as a nation is a sign that the end is near when their leaves begin to blossom. Some watching this video have actually witnessed Israel coming back as a nation in 1948. Those born that year are 76 right now. Now then Jesus got more specific. This generation, the generation seeing the fig tree blossom will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Huh? Remember, the disciples asked, when will these things take place? That's how they opened the conversation. And Jesus is answering them right now. So Jesus says, during the lifetime of that generation born in 1948, they will see the completion of Daniel's 70th week. Wow. Jesus is clear to add, of course, that no one knows the day or hour of that end, but we can know the season. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 